If you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Our focus today is going to be on verse 1 in Philippians 3, but I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read the first three verses of Philippians 3. Philippians 3, 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What does it mean when we come to verse 1 and it says rejoice in the Lord? I, I read of a little girl who knew what it meant to rejoice in the Lord even if she didn't know that's what she was doing. She had leukemia. And the doctor had come and called her parents out of her room to consult with them in the hallway and had told them that their daughter only had six months to live. To everyone's surprise, she overheard the conversation. She heard what the doctor told her parents. To everyone's surprise, her faith in Christ had given her an attitude of victory. Even as a youngster, she believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. She knew where she was going. And she began to talk freely about her death with great anticipation. And as she grew weaker, it seemed like her joy became more and more radiant. And one day before she sank into a final coma, she said to her family, I'm going to be the first to see Jesus. What would you like me to tell him for you? Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us had such childlike joy and faith in the face of hardship and difficult, even, even death? I'm here to tell you today that you can have that kind of joy. You can. It's possible for every believer in Jesus to have that kind of childlike faith and joy. Verse 1 begins with the word finally, and I just want to warn you here, we're actually only halfway through Philippians, so this isn't the end when he says finally. A better translation here would be furthermore, or, or so then, or in addition, finally here's a word of trans, uh, transition, not conclusion, and what we have coming after verse 1 is some serious warning. You heard it as I read verses 2 and 3. There's a serious warning here for believers. So leading into that, he says, So then, rejoice in the Lord. And this is such an important word of instruction that we're going to see here that I'm, we're just going to stay in verse 1 today because I want you to hear this, this challenge and this encouragement, this important word of instruction that we see in verse 1. First, I want you to see clearly that for believers in Jesus, it's possible to have joy in all circumstances because rejoicing in the Lord is commanded. And what God commands is possible, <laughs> right? When you see a command, you, you're not allowed to say, I can't do that. Because if God commands it, He will enable you to do it. 
He will help you to do it if you'll trust in Him, if you'll walk with Him. The word translated rejoice from the Greek was given in the imperative. This is important. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Paul was not making a suggestion here. Rejoicing for believers at Philippi was not optional. And rejoicing in the Lord is still a command for all who trust in Jesus Christ. And it's still possible for all who trust in Jesus Christ. But it's not simply a command. It's not just a command. It's actually the pattern that we see throughout the Bible in the lives of all people whose trust is in God, whose hope is in God's promises. Let me just give you a few examples. Listen to 1 Chronicles 16.10. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Or listen to Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. Or listen to Psalm 100, verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. I think that was my mom's favorite verse when I was complaining. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. We also hear a song of joy in Isaiah 12 too. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And He has become my salvation. Or listen to Isaiah 62.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And so we can see it there in Isaiah. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Even in hardship and difficulty, God's Word shows us that it's possible to rejoice in the Lord. It's possible for God's children to find themselves rejoicing even as they shed tears and grieve, which is appropriate. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Even when God's children are persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ, they can rejoice, says Matthew 5.12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's like he's saying, remember that your name is written in heaven. Joy and rejoicing in the Lord has also been a repeating theme here in Philippians. If you've been with us for our series in Philippians, you've been hearing this again and again. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
In verses 15 through 19, we heard this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And we heard this in Philippians 1 and verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Then in Philippians 2 and verse 1, we heard Paul say, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then in verses 17 through 18, Paul says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And then last week we heard this in verses 28 and 29. When Paul, speaking of sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippian believers, he says, I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Incredible. This, this thread of joy that's woven all through Philippians and actually backs up and weaves all through the Bible. And we'll even be coming back to this theme in chapter 4 where we're going to hear this in verse 4 of chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. But here in chapter 3, Paul has a good reason for giving this command to believers to rejoice in the Lord even though he'll be coming back to the idea later he wants to address something important. He points to it. He points to it now for the reason we saw when we read verses 2 and 3, that believers at Philippi were facing difficulties. And all believers will face difficulties. Believers will have to be prepared and equipped for false teaching. Believers will have to be on guard against the kind of false teaching that wants you to believe that you have to perform a certain way to measure up to God's standard of salvation. The Bible does not teach that. That's what he's taking on here in verses 2 and 3. Legalism that says you know, to be acceptable in God's sight, you've got to do these things. Believers in Jesus will need to be firmly grounded in the truth of God's Word that no amount of works earns your salvation. Forgiveness of sins, salvation, and eternal life are gifts from God. By His grace, they are gifts from God to all who believe in Jesus and in Him alone. And to equip these believers at Philippi for the challenges that they are facing, He reminds them, okay, here we go. I'm going to point to some challenges First of all, you need to know this. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And he says here in chapter 3, verse 1, that to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now he's likely pointing to what he had taught them when he was with them. 
He's also pointing to what he's already been teaching them here in this letter. That for believers, for their own good, for the strength of their faith, for their own walk with Christ, rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on God's promises. Rejoice in those truths. Rejoice in the Lord. This really ought to be the attitude of every believer in Jesus. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to rejoice in and be joyful for with our faith fixed on Christ. That's why observing communion together this morning should remind us and make us rejoice, even though we think of the Lord's death and it sobers us up, the Lord Jesus Christ being crucified on the cross. And yet we rejoice because we know on the third day he rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death and hell in the grave and he lives today and he's given us his Holy Spirit to live in us. We rejoice when we come to the Lord's table and observe the Lord's Supper together. We always have Christ's finished work at Calvary to rejoice over. If you're thinking you don't have something to rejoice over, I'm going to stop you and point to Jesus and say, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have something to rejoice over always. We always have the assurance that Jesus keeps us and nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul writes this in Romans 8, beginning at verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in the whole creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can and we should always rejoice in this. But this joy this rejoicing at all times, even in the face of difficulties, can only be true for believers in Jesus. So it's worth a moment here to pause and ask if you are a believer in Jesus. Because if you're hearing me and you're thinking, I want that joy, I want to rejoice, you can't do that truly. You cannot rejoice if you aren't a believer in Jesus. So I would challenge you, even in this moment, the most important thing you have to do today is not necessarily listening to the rest of this sermon. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you need to be arrested in your heart right now where you would humble yourself before God and thank Him for the forgiveness He gives you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus and in Him alone. And He forgives you and cleanses you and makes you new and gives you His Holy Spirit so that you can learn to rejoice in the Lord and know the joy that only He can give. Amen. So how does this work? How does this work to rejoice in the Lord if I'm facing difficulties? How can I rejoice in the Lord if I'm grieving over hardship and heartbreak? I want you to note this, that there is a sense here and we get the same sense from the Bible in general that for those who follow Christ, for those who are walking with Christ, for those whose eyes 
the eyes of your life are fixed on God and on His promises and in the confidence that you can have knowing that He is in control. For that obedient follower of Christ, rejoicing comes natural. It kind of flows from your life. You can't create it. You can't stop it. It flows from you. In other words, as you read the Bible and as you submit yourself to the truths of God's Word, and as you fellowship with God in prayer, and as you serve Him, and as you fellowship with other believers, as you serve with them, from the overflow of your life, your attitude will be one that is strengthened for rejoicing in the Lord, and rejoicing in the Lord will come naturally. If you are an obedient follower of Jesus, you will be rejoicing in the Lord. It's natural overflow of the heart of the believer who is looking to Christ, who is looking to God's Word, who is taking confidence in God's promises, who is serving the Lord, who is fellowshipping with the Lord in prayer. If you find that you cannot rejoice in the Lord, something is out of balance. And it's time to take an account. What is it that's out of balance? It's important to take note here that I am not talking about happiness. Happiness is what the world seeks and is always based on your circumstances. If you're thinking something's out of balance and you need something to create balance, like the pursuit of someone other than Christ, or the pursuit of a new job, or the pursuit of more money, or the pursuit of more accomplishments... This could even end up being the pursuit of seeing your kids accomplish things. That's not the kind of balance I'm talking about. Happiness is what the world seeks and is always based on circumstances. You look around, you think, I'm not happy. What's, what's out of balance? I need to fix something in my life to, to make myself happy. No. True joy is something that only believers in Jesus can have, and it's not based on circumstances. It's based on your confidence in Christ. Joy comes when you look to Christ in all things. Joy comes when you always keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and on the promises of His Word. And that's especially true when you are facing difficulties. That's what we saw when we We're told by Paul back in Philippians 2 and verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Might there be something to grumble over? Might there be something to dispute over? Might there be something that you would want to complain about? Certainly, if you take your eyes off of Christ and the assurances you have as His child and you forget the teaching of God's Word and you stop praying and you stop serving and There's not going to be rejoicing if your fellowship with God is broken. You know what happens when that happens is you take your eyes off of God's promises and you're fixed on yourself. So rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is an imperative. It's an absolute necessity. It's a command. But it's also something that should flow naturally from your life if you're walking with Christ. And so we see here that rejoicing in the Lord is also an essential. It's an essential for believers. 
It's commanded. It's also essential. Notice how Paul says in Philippians 3.1 that to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It's like the parent who repeats something a thousand times. Ten, and my kids would say 10,000 times. Back in Philippians 2.18, we, we had already seen this when he called on them to rejoice with him. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me, says Paul. That's the repeating theme here in Philippians. Rejoice. It's an essential for all believers. That's also the repeating theme of the whole Bible. You heard the passages that I read earlier, but there were so many more. I would have liked to have kept reading. Well, let me just read a couple more. Psalm 33.1, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Do you hear that? Praise befits the upright. That's the natural overflow of the heart that is walking with Christ. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. More than that, we rejoice. Brace yourself. We rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. How can that be? Because the person who's walking with Christ has their eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ and on God's promises. For believers in Jesus, rejoicing in the Lord is essential. So Paul says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It's good for you. It's, it's okay with me. I'll just, I'll just repeat myself. And we're going to find out in chapter 4. He does it again. <laughs> for Paul, repeating the, the command to rejoice was important for every believer because rejoicing in the Lord is foundational to something else that's critically important for believers. It's foundational for bringing glory to God. Glorifying God with a Christian life. You will not glorify God with your life if your life isn't overflowing with joy, with rejoicing in God. And so rejoicing in the Lord is commanded. Rejoicing in the Lord is essential. And I want you to note that also rejoicing in the Lord is also a safeguard. Rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard for believers. Do you see it at the end of verse 1? To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Or as the New American Standard Bible puts it, I'm stealing that safeguard word from there, it is a safeguard for you. How is rejoicing in the Lord a safeguard for believers? How is it for your own safety? Because when you rejoice in the Lord, you're learning to be content. You're learning to be content when you rejoice in the Lord. You're learning to be content with God's promises. You're learning to begin content with God's work in your life and in the direction that He is taking you. You're learning to be content. It's a safeguard for you when you learn to rejoice because you're learning to be content with the fact that God is in control. And sometimes he does things differently than you want him to do them. But you know, if you're content in the Lord, you know it's for your good. 
When you rejoice in the Lord, you're learning to be content with all that God is doing in your life. And we're going to see this here when we move on next time to verses 2 and 3. That keeping your eyes fixed on God and on His Word, learning to be content with everything God is doing because He is in control, will safeguard you against false teaching. Are you content with what God is doing in your life? Have you learned? Are you learning to be content? It will safeguard you. It will help guard you from false teaching. Look at verses 2 and 3 again where Paul says, Look out for the dogs. And we'll get into this next time. I'm not going to explain right now. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. If you are looking to God with your eyes fixed on Christ, on His finished work for you, you are not putting confidence in the flesh. You are putting confidence in God. And that is a safeguard for you. Paul is pointing to those who were troubling the Philippian believers with legalism and false teaching telling them that there was something more than simply faith that was needed for them to be right with God. And that is not what the Bible teaches. And so Paul was saying, wait, rejoice in the Lord. Fix your eyes on Christ. You need to simply know that through faith in Christ, by God's grace, you are saved, you are forgiven, you are cleansed, and you are made new. Rejoice in the Lord. It is through faith in Christ alone we are saved not by any works of our own. And so rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard for you because it keeps your focus on the truth and promises of God's Word. It keeps your focus on the goodness of God and trains you to reject legalism that tells you that you have to perform good works or anything other than simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and salvation. And rejoicing in the Lord helps you get your eyes off of yourself and your difficult circumstances. It doesn't take you out of your difficult circumstances, but it helps you properly fix your eyes on the Lord in the midst of your circumstances, though they be difficult. Helping you keep your eyes on God, on His goodness, on His faithfulness, and on His constant provision and care for you in your life. Are you learning to rejoice in the Lord. You know, this side of heaven, we may always be learning to rejoice in the Lord, but that's okay. I'll keep reminding you, as Paul says, right? It's good for you. and It's necessary. My guess is that we could all use more joy in our lives. We could all stand to rejoice in the Lord more than we do now. We're going to come back to this thought next time. But until then, let's ask God to help us learn to rejoice in the Lord every day for our own good and for God's glory.